if you want to rise up, enable your team. If you've got across all these processes and you run them and you can enable everyone else, then you can create an opportunity for you to rise up. But if you're bogged down in the existing, you can't go anywhere. You're too valuable in that one post. So particularly for a leadership team, if someone's hanging on to something, and that's certainly not a behavior I'd expect in a leadership team, if someone's just hanging on to something and not letting it go, then they're really trying to just lock themselves into a post and they can't go any higher. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 881. Today we are continuing our discussion around the role of fractional integrator. I've brought along my special friend slash guest, Lloyd Thompson from virtualdo.com to talk about this again. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. So just a quick recap, Lloyd, we spoke last time on episode 875, which was the rise of the fractional integrator. And we more or less covered what a fractional integrator is. We talked a little bit about meeting formats and hinted at what Kanban is. And we talked about how you might go about hiring an integrator and what kind of systems to use. So I wanted to go a little bit deeper today get into some softer subjects and also some more technical subjects and see where we go with this episode. But I think in order to move forward, it's sometimes worth having a look at the past. And I'd love to just get a little bit deeper on your past life transition into this role and how much of what you did before is informing and guiding your skill set for your current role. Sure. So I started my career as a software developer and eventually that transitioned into a technical leader overseeing solving technical problems and then eventually a people leader who would manage people challenges. And what I noticed is that when there's a problem for technical issues and for people challenges, quite often the facilitation method is actually the same. And it involves getting the people together, understanding the goal, the objective, what we're trying to achieve, the current situation and then what the options are. Moving into integration space is actually quite similar. There might be different areas that we're dealing with, such as manufacturing, logistics, marketing, R&D, but the problem-solving method is the same. So in saying this all, actually having a technical background when working with online business has actually been very helpful. Yeah, I can see that. It's been such a natural fit, and I've been in the great position to watch you just take it on. And what has impressed me is just how smoothly it's gone, (laughs) and especially because I know a lot of your clients, they're people who will be listening to Superfast Business people who I work with closely in Silver Circle or partners, and you come in and then I see their business lift. Because for a lot of visionaries, that was sort of the missing thing. It's like they've got this big block V8 and they're hitting the accelerator and they're just sitting there on the spot doing burnouts. (laughs) And you come in there with some traction control saying, okay, I know how this can work. Now, some of the things you do when you get into a business is you set up little systems and we'd sort of call this the toolkit of an integrator that you would have brought across from your previous roles as well. We talked about Kanban in the last episode, and we also mentioned, I think, Scrum, but we didn't really go into that. So I'd love it if you could just dive into your toolkit for a sec and talk about these two tools that, in some cases, someone listening to this episode may not be doing either of these. Mm. Okay. Some people might have a very basic version of one of them, maybe Kanban, Mm. and some people will be like, well deep into it, but are just wanting someone to help them, guide them with it. So let's just have a little bit of an overview of these two tools. Hmm. So actually, last time we talked about Kanban, and that's good for visibility. 
if you've got the same steps each time, if you've got a cookie cutter project, you can get great transparency of where the tasks are at, what step in the pipeline are they at. So cookie cutter projects, that's ideal for Kanban. Scrum, well, that's better when it's not the same shape every time. And so I choose between Scrum or Kanban, really depending on the application, depending on the project. So with Scrum, you look at prioritizing value. You want to fix the scope for a period of time, so typically 10 days. And this enables all of the team to work on the same things together for a period of time, and we call that a sprint. And I've actually used this recently for a team creating content for advertising campaigns, and it's made a big difference to productivity. Now, for both Kanban and Scrum approaches, they're not completely the opposite. There are a number of things that you can do for both together that will make things run a lot more smoothly. So for both, it's important to have some kind of daily huddle or a standard and make sure you know what's blocked or who's waiting on what. It's good to have reviews and retrospectives to see how successful our planning is or check the output and see if there's any opportunities for improvement. It's good to go back through all of your tasks periodically, the things that are in your waiting queue, your backlog that are going to be coming into the pipeline next and ensure that there's enough info in there to allow people to get going. Actually, while I'm on the topic of task refinement, I might just go down a bit of a rabbit hole on task hygiene, ticket hygiene in particular. I was watching Alice in Wonderland last night with my daughter. <laughs> going down a rabbit hole, huh? <laughs> it was wonderful. Really, something is so creative. Yes, let's go down the rabbit hole and see what we find. Right. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so down the rabbit hole we go. Task hygiene. So if the tasks aren't dealt with, if they're not given the right information, people can be blocked from getting going. Or they might make assumptions because they haven't got enough information. So it's either going to block productivity or it's just going to, well, it will block productivity. They might just go down the wrong way. They'll make an assumption, they go down the wrong way. So a few things I would check for there in one of these task hygienes, a refinement session, if you like, is make sure that tasks are assigned to one person and one person only. I think we mentioned in the previous episode, if two people are accountable for someone, something, nobody is. So just making sure a task is for one person, one thing only. Due dates. When's this task actually need to get done by? Priorities. Is this the most important task that we should be working on right now? Is there enough information in the ticket? So a good thing to put in here is some kind of acceptance criteria. And so this is a list of true statements that will be true when the task is completed. Who's going to close the task? Or is it just going to sit there? So who's going to close the task and why would they close the task? They might close it because they're the person that's going to do the quality check in the end. Or they might be some kind of internal customer and go, yeah, I'm happy with that. Thanks. I'm closing it. Or you know what? No, I'm not happy with that. Back up the truck. You can have that back. Let's do that again. So who's going to close that? And then before you get into all of this, estimates. So you may have heard of things called story points. That's one method. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of story points. I like really simple method. I like just days quarter days, half days, days, a small number of days, not into weeks or months, just to keep it simple. So uh, that's the task hygiene. And so those are the areas that I would use for both Kanban and Scrum. These sound just amazing. I know someone's listening to this thinking, oh my God, I want this in <laughs> my business. <laughs> because it, the things you've just described, they're missing from a lot of these small businesses that I coach and that we work with. And I know that visionary types are generally not going to be the one who's going to do this. They're not going to learn this. They may want to hire for this, and that's possible. And I know you and I have actually helped people, even hire people, to come in after you've come and cleaned up and set up 
and that's cool. But having someone inside there who knows this and setting up is so desirable. This is episode 881. I'm chatting to Lloyd Thompson from virtualdoo.com, and he's an expert in helping visionaries get everything working smoothly in their business. Now, when we started this business venture of yours, Lloyd, it was just you. And you and I were talking about how we could integrate your methodologies and background into my client base. And it worked so well that you've expanded. Do you want to give us a little view into the sort of team that you've assembled and what sort of things they're doing within your business now? Because I think that informs us as to what kind of functionality we might want in our own business, or certainly if we're getting someone to come in like Virtual Do to be our integrator on a shared basis with other people, what sort of things could we expect you know, from a team point of view? Hmm. So my first hire was another integrator, and she has been kicking my butt and shaping virtual do for the better ever since. Absolutely fantastic. I'm laughing because my um, podcast producer just contacted me and said, I'd love to get that episode 881 that you've got earmarked with Lloyd. And I said, yes, I'm just about to record that. So you need these people in your life. (laughs) Yeah, she's very motivating. She'll go, you know, I think I'm pedantic, but she's on top of things as well. And she's like, oh, there's a gap here. We should really do it like this. And Fractional integration is good for her because she works remotely in regional Australia. She's in the absolute middle of nowhere. We call that whoop whoop here in Australia. She's surrounded by cows and sheep. She's able to spend a lot of time with her family and yet still provide an excellent service for Virtual Do and on behalf of Virtual Do. Yeah, that's great. And since then, uh, we've expanded our team. We've now got someone who's an integrator in Argentina. And that's been beneficial because that allows us to have more time zone overlap with the US and Canadian clients that we have. We have a support person who provides project services such as reporting, reconciliation, and and other project management services. And we also have a tech lead and a developer providing some software development for us. And this this actually isn't our core business, but we're helping someone with some development work because we knew that we could solve this problem for them. I knew that you could solve this problem. I think I was involved in a referral there because I'm like, would you like to speak to someone who put together hundreds of millions of dollars worth of software projects from all around the world? And my prospect said, yes. <laughs> so why don't we talk about the kind of clients you're working with? Because what I'm seeing is you've basically got your toolkit and you're able to front up to new clients and have a look at what's going on. You very quickly figure out where they're at. Are they in massive trouble or are they running like a well-oiled machine, but just need a few little tips and tricks? And then you're bringing in the right team members to complement their service. Give us a sort of representation of the type of clients you've been helping to see if we fit that criteria. Hmm. It's a bit of a pick and mix, but they are all online services. So one is an e-commerce giant. They're shipping products worldwide. Our integrator works directly with the CEO and the leadership team. And that would include key roles such as global operations, encompassing manufacturing, shipping, R&D. They'd work with HR. IT, sales and marketing, creative department, and finance. So that's one client, one shape. And then something a bit different, uh, we're working with an SEO business. And so again, the integrator works directly with the CEO or founder, visionary, and a bit of a different leadership team they're dealing with there. So sales and marketing. This time they've got an account manager. An account managers, we actually recommended that the account manager placement. So account managers working with the external clients and getting the updates and making sure they're being looked after. Generally, the integrator is looking after the internal team and the vendors. So having an account manager is a great addition to a team. 
we're working with SEO experts, content production, podcast production, and YouTube production. So that's the SEO business. And I'd like to point out there that one of the things we do as a business grows is look for if there's a gap we think in the business and we say, hey, look, we really think, for example, you need an account manager. So that's something we would do. Look at the roles and responsibilities. Look what's missing. Well, yeah, you'd know straight away, oh, hang on, I've worked you know, in other businesses, there'd be this role. Like the client account manager, that's a great example where I know I've podcasted about this topic specifically because that's what brings agencies undone. Mm. Almost every agency owner at some point is going to say, I hate this business because I have to talk to clients. And I'm like, do you realize you don't actually have to talk to clients? And they're like, tell me more about that. So you would, if you went into an agency where they didn't have client account managers and the founder is struggling to try and keep up dealing with all the clients, you might say to them, hey, why don't you get a client account manager? Because we've seen that work well before. Yes, absolutely. Because you've got eyes on other businesses, you start to get this data that you can benchmark and compare and point out gaps instantly that a business owner might never discover or take a long time to figure out. Yeah, absolutely correct. Just to give you the full picture about the clients, I guess the odd one out that I just mentioned earlier was the one where we're doing software development, but that's a capability that we do have. So we are working with the video marketer. And again, we work directly with the CEO there, and we're providing technical leadership and software development. And we're busy automating some manual steps that would have taken hours before that were manual and getting this down to minutes. And that allows them to serve more customers and provide faster responses to their existing customers. And so it's not really our core business, but it was a problem that we could solve. So we took that on. Yeah. And, and I think from memory, you were so efficient with it that the founder was like having to keep up with you <laughs> because usually with software, you're expecting it to take a long time and cost a lot of money. And you just came in with all this existing knowledge and the right team members and just demolished it straight away. So that was like really encouraging. And I had such good feedback around that. He's a fantastic client. One of the roles, unfortunately, we've had to have him submit some forms to the people who are going to provide some technical service to us. Like we, he's getting some information from Google. And so we've said, hey, we really need you to fill out those forms for us. We can fill out the details, everything we know and we recommend, and, but you need to submit the rest. So we were politely asking him to do that. And he's been a fantastic partnership working with us. One of the things you would see, obviously, on the softer side of it, we've talked about some of the tools and we've talked about some of the client profiles. I imagine each of these businesses at at different levels when it comes to their core team. Like almost everyone you're working with has an existing team. Most of them are getting you involved to coordinate their team better and make things run on time. Do you encounter these teams having core values when you get in there or is it something that you believe strongly in or that businesses should even have? I highly recommend having core values. I have core values in my own business. As someone working with the business, when we're coming in, it allows us to know what good looks like. Are we fitting in with your business? Are we gelling with you? But also for our business or for the clients, it makes sure that we've got the right people. So the right people is the core values. They fit the core values and they follow those core values. And the right seats is the second part. So right seats is once they have got the core values, the right seats is they get the role. They want the role and they've got the capacity, the time and skill to do the role. So core values, incredibly important. If I'm talking to a client and I don't know what their core values are, I'm going to ask and I'm going to highly recommend that that's one of the first things they do is get those core values down and make sure that every employee in the business knows what their core values are so that they are aligned. Do you have core values at Virtual Do? 
Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm happy to expand on a couple of them if you'd like. Yeah, I think it'd be a great example. I mean, this is something I feel quite um, strongly about too because it's what helped me transform motor dealerships before I came online. We get trained by someone who is a high-level corporate trainer who explained about core values to us. We installed it. I brought it into my online business. My own team have got great core values, which is why anyone who's ever dealt with our support has had a good, timely response. When my team communicate well, they have the utmost integrity. They're good at what they do, and they're really good at collaborating, which is why we don't have such structured roles in our business, because we've taken on some of the attributes as me, the founder, and then we've added in some of the skills that me as the founder can't bring to the table. Mm. You know, like they're going to go and research and study tutorials and things to be ninja good at what they do. And I'm going to focus on being ninja good at what I do. It's one of our values is to be ninja good. The other one of our values, which is critical in a role like ours, is confidentiality. We can't share confidential information of our clients or any of our protected intellectual property with people outside the business. It's even one of the reasons we don't list our team on our website. And a lot of people don't realize this. When they're listing their team on the website, that can go well against them as well as for them. It creates vulnerabilities for hacks. It creates poaching opportunities for nefarious employers to steal databases and so forth. So we like to operate out of a little quiet little bunker. (laughs) But why don't you share with us your core values for your business? Yeah, sure. So one of them would be owning it and making it an art. And I'd like to just expand on work versus art. I'm trying to think where I got this from. I think it might have been Getting Things Done, which was, uh, I think, Brian Tracy wrote that book. So work is what you're asked to do. You know, can you get this done? Can you get this done? I don't really think anyone really wants to be a worker. Art is where you know the outcome of something and you can then use your art to get there. So we want artists. We don't want workers. We want people who take pride in their work, choose their own adventure and get to that outcome in the best way that they can. So owning it and making art, I want artists. So that's the first one. You got me thinking of your surfing here. (laughs) There's a lot of improvement needed. You draw lines on the waves (laughs) as you're dodging all the other surfers on the way through. But, you know, like I just wanted to sort of sidebar here a little bit. Part of the reason we've become friends and business partners is because of your personal values. And with these small businesses, our personal values come through our business and people can get a vibe off you. They know if you're a shady criminal or if you're a good person through your actions and the way that you interact with others. But I've always found your personal values very high and that's made it sort of magnetic for me to like, I like doing projects together because I know that your values mean that I can refer with confidence and trust that I'm maintaining my own extension of my own values that I have with my own clients. I want that integrity and the trust and a long-term relationship, and I won't do anything that damages that, including my sphere of people you know, who work closely with me. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, well, bottom line is I think great values magnify and create more opportunities. That's really my point there. What else does your team have as, hmm. as a core value? Similar to one what you mentioned about collaboration, actually. So I've got one eagerness to learn new skills and enable others. And the second part, and enable others, is really important because I've come across a great many experts who are super at what they do, but not so good at enabling others. And we want people who can learn new skills and then help the team learn them. 
So real team players who just want to help everyone rise up. Yeah, that's such a big one because um, firstly, a lot of the reason people might need an integrator is because as a founder, they are hanging on to things and they will often use excuses like, well, no one else can do it as well as I can, or this is too valuable to share, et cetera. And they cling on to stuff. So they're not enabling anyone, which means they're actually not enabling themselves. It's a catch 22. And the other thing that you find often, if you have a poor employee, they might actually start, they try and create their own black box. They think they're making themselves irreplaceable by not sharing and not helping other people and not making sure there's redundancies within the business. What they do is they actually put themselves on an island. They have their personal little fiefdom. They don't want to share. They don't want to communicate. They don't want to let anyone else onto their island or tell anyone else what they're doing, but they are a massive liability in a business. And you and I have both seen this. We've talked about this, Lloyd, where if a visionary gets too compromised by someone who won't share and won't enable others, it actually becomes a bit of a cancer that will cause a negative result that ripples across the whole organization. If you permit that to happen in your business, then you're asking for trouble. And I'd like to say it to you, I remember listening to Alan Moss, who was the CEO of Macquarie Bank, which is quite a well-known bank here in Australia. And they were asking, one of the questions that came from the crowd was, you know, what's one of your top tips for success in this company? And he said, make yourself redundant and step up while you can. And what he meant by that is, if you want to rise up, enable your team. If you've got across all these processes, if you run them and you can enable everyone else, then you can create an opportunity for you to rise up. But if you're bogged down in the existing, you can't go anywhere. You're too valuable in that one post. So particularly for a leadership team, if someone's hanging on to something, and that's certainly not a behavior I'd expect in a leadership team, if someone's just hanging on to something and not letting it go, then they're really trying to just lock themselves into a post and they can't go any higher. You know, this also applies to the service provision for a business. Some service providers, you know, like maybe therapists or bad coaches, they want to keep their customers dependent on them. Mm -hmm. So they have a sustained relationship. Lawyers, some of them, seem to love this one. Like, let's keep having a relationship. We'll, We'll keep firing up the war so that this, you know, war chest needs funding. I'm half joking there. But you know what I mean? Like, as a coach, if a client of mine solves all their problems and has massive success, that is the greatest outcome possible, not if they're continually needy of the resource or can't survive without it. So that really is an interesting trait, a rare one, but a great one. And I can see you're hiring with the same attribute you have, mm-hmm. and it will reflect through to your clients. You'll create that ripple effect with their culture where suddenly instead of everyone trying to cling on to their job like a life raft, <laughs> they're actually sharing and caring and enabling, and now the whole thing actually rises and there is no emergency. I like that. I've got one more for you. Okay. So uh, driving initiatives to improve processes. So this is really important for virtual do and our clients. And so we're ultimately facilitators in a lot of our engagements. And so part of what we're doing is identifying pain points, listening to the team. And one of my clients, actually, he talks about, and I love this quote, one of his core values is, get 1% better every day. And he really lives this quote. He really does. And his team, in every opportunity he talks to the team, he reminds everybody, get 1% better. So that core value is absolutely known throughout the team. I've heard this being also called Kaizen, a Japanese term. So I've really just taken that from him. I love that value and I bring that into my team. 
I think it might even be um, part of Brian Tracy's winning edge concept. <laughs> it might be. I've read a couple of Brian Tracy's uh, things there as well. So, yeah, that one about driving initiatives, process improvement. And just on that, actually, when we come to process improvement, it is difficult to drive change and convincing people to make change is difficult. But in that, we train our team how to do it too. So quite a lot of the time, people believe their own data, whether it's decision-making or behavioral. They believe their own data. You have to show them the data to make them believe it for themselves. You can't generally push a view onto someone. And so what we aim to do is make that data available to them in a way that they can digest and then they can make a decision based on that. So that's how all the values tie into our um, working practices. I love it. It's been really nice little overview. We've talked about values. We've talked about some of the tools in your toolkit, some of the types of clients you work with. If you're listening to this and you think you might need the services of an integrator, of course, I would recommend Lloyd and his team these days. You can access him at virtualdo.com. That's virtualdo.com. Lloyd, I appreciate you coming along and sharing this. And thank you for looking after my clients so well. And I hope that your business continues to grow so successfully as it has in 2021. Into 2022, I imagine it's going to be a, a tremendous growth year for a lot of online businesses as we um, you know, progress further down the sort of opening up and getting back to bigger and better commerce opportunities. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more opportunities for you to get in there and show them how it's done right. Even if, and this is, a, this is an important one, even if it's a predetermined sort of window where you come in, clean up, set up, get things running, and then over time, help them obsolete your own service. Uh, I mean, this is, Absolutely. this is part of your core values that, again, just going back to what I was saying before, you're not in there to try and do it for them to the extent where they you know, can't live without you. Ideally, they'll get such a strong muscle with this that one day down the track, they can decide if they want to bring someone in or not, or they can just sustain with the program. And certainly that's a completely valid position because it's way cheaper to hire a fractional integrator than it is to shell out big coin for a chief operations officer or whatever, you know, or someone who you, you know, a graduate of one course and they know one way. When you get a, a contracted service like Virtual Do, you're actually getting access to a team. You're getting years and years and years worth of experience in all different methodologies. And most importantly, getting access to the data set and benchmarking capability of knowing exactly where your gaps are straight away. So that's why I think it's a really good move. It's smart. Thanks, Lloyd. Thanks so much for having me on the show again. My pleasure. I will get you back. If you've got a question for Lloyd, flick an email to me, james at superfastbusiness.com. I'd love to send them over to Lloyd for him to prepare and uh, we'll answer them for you. And uh, in the meantime, I hope you catch a few nice waves. <laughs> Thanks, James. You too. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.